Welcome to Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. I'm your co-host, Erin Todd. I'm a writer and an intuitive eater. And I'm your co-host, Charlie Castle, registered dietitian and exercise physiologist. We're here to help you discover whole health for your mind, body, and soul. That's right. Our goal is to embody scripture, ditch dieting, and live on purpose. Woo! Woo! Yes, girl. Hey there, thanks for joining us today on Intuitive Eating for Christian Women. In case you're new here, I want to highlight something pretty important for all listeners. We're glad that you're here with us in the middle of season two, but we want you to actually go back and start at the beginning. This podcast was designed to be listened to in order. Season one is our big teaching series where we lay the foundations of faith-based intuitive eating And then we teach each principle one at a time, specifically through a biblical lens. So we do not want you to miss that. So after you catch today's episode, be sure and go back to episode one and listen from the beginning. Today, we're going to be talking with Christy Dondero Betway. Christy is the executive director at Rock Recovery, a DC-based nonprofit that breaks down barriers to eating disorder and mental health treatment and support. She loves sharing her own recovery story to encourage others that freedom is possible for them. Before we jump into our conversation with Christy, as a reminder, this program is for informational and educational purposes only, and it is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice. Our aim is to introduce you to the principles of intuitive eating and help you see how those principles align with scripture so you can improve your relationship with food, your body, and God, and cast out dieting for good. Hey, and welcome, Christy. We're excited to have you here today. Excited to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. So take us back to the beginning and tell us us about when you met Jesus. Wow, gosh, that was, doesn't it, isn't it funny, the older you get, you have to keep adding numbers when you go back and reflect on your story. I'm like, that was almost two decades ago, 15 years ago, we don't do the exact math, but I actually had just graduated college. I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and was going through a really tough time. A friend of mine had just passed away from cancer. I was really in the depths of my own eating disorder and having a rough time. And I actually met a a lovely man at a bar who asked me to go to church. So a very atypical story, but the Lord works in mysterious ways and you never know what God's going to do to reach somebody. So that man's actually now one of our very best friends and his wife was a bridesmaid in our wedding five years ago. So, you know, the Lord does provide. But for me, I think I, I basically really came to the end of myself. I was struggling. I was really desperate. I had tried all the things and they weren't working. And so I often joke that God knew how to get me, you know, once with the coupon in the bar and then once with like not being able to do it anymore, not being able to fake it, not being able to do the things that used to work and really realizing, wow, I'm not in control and I don't want to be. And Jesus take the wheel. Let's do this. So I kind of recovered from my eating disorder and came to faith all in one jumbly little period, but it was really beautiful. And I think it was just a, a great redemption and how God's really met me. Wow. I have so many questions. <laughs> you just did like the backwards storytelling, which I love. So let's start at like, when did food become a problem? What was your relationship with food as a kid? How did yeah. that disorder develop? Yeah. I mean, you're spot on. It definitely happened as a kid, which is so interesting. I think people don't realize how much of this can develop so early. And for me, we moved to Texas from Pennsylvania when I was eight. And I'll never forget when my parents sat my sister and I down to tell us we were moving. We thought they were either telling us that we were getting a puppy or going to Disney World. And then they're like, we're moving to Texas. (laughs) I'm like, poor little eight-year-old Christy. I have such compassion for her now. I was like, oh we're not getting a puppy like I don't understand right so that really rocked my world that was the first time as a kid that my you know safe environment being by family all these things I'd gotten used to was really uprooted and I didn't know how to cope and so I really started to turn to food so when we moved and my mom struggled to 
with the move and we really bonded over food, which is great in a lot of ways. It's good to bond over food, but when it was my only coping skill, it became really problematic. So that kind of got me into this place where I, I couldn't calm down. I was really upset about things and kind of snacks or food was the only thing that made me feel better. So it got me in this really tough loop. And then a couple of years later, I got serious about ballet. So it was kind of this contradictory thing where food was my BFF in a way, but I knew I had to eat differently, quote unquote, to be a ballerina. So what did that look like? So that kind of immediately put me in opposite sides of, I guess, the same coin, maybe. It was an interesting experience for sure. Wow. Okay, so we're in Pennsylvania. I was born in Lancaster, and then we lived like by Harrisburg. That's where I am. <laughs> I'm totally in Lancaster County. No way. Well, I did move very early, so I wouldn't have to come visit and remember it. But when I yeah. made, I really liked it. So, you know, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. it was the bomb. <laughs> I love Christy, it. You know, you brought up something that um, Charlie really turned me on to as we started working through the principles of intuitive eating, uh, of intuitive eating and like recognizing um, recognizing food as a coping skill and like not looking at that as a hundred percent bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like, can, can you be thankful? And have you been able to look back on that and recognize the grace in that and, um, understand that coping was something you needed to do and food as a coping mechanism can be a gift. Um, in a continuum, of course, but have you, have you had that realization as well? Yeah. My therapist that I worked with, her name is Melissa and she was just such a gift to me. And I remember she kind of said, you know, you did the best you could with what you had, like, don't totally like belittle it. And I talk a lot about, and you, you probably heard this before too, the idea of an eating disorder or coping with food, whatever it might be, is kind of like a binky, like kind of like your lovey, you know, where like there's a reason kids get their security blankets. Like they're good in a way, right? They do calm, they do help self-soothe. There is some goodness to it. You can't be like 23 with your binky probably, right? So there's a time and a place to sort of move forward and move past it. But there's also, it's not all, yeah, bad. you can't just dehumanize it or totally judge it. Like there is some grace in the process. And I really, as a black and white thinker, and a very judgy, judgy person. I really struggled with that. Um, I was like, no, I should have done it better. I should have done it perfectly. This was wrong. Why didn't I go to therapy when I was eight? I would have been so good at it. But uh, <laughs> there was real grace there for sure. Mm, yeah, so good. Yeah, that was that was kind of a, I don't know, an aha moment for me personally. So I'm, I'm glad that was part of your her story as well. So can you tell us about the statement? I love, I wrote this down. I'm not in control and I don't want to be. What was that moment like? What was uh, that realization like? And I think an hour ago, I did not believe that statement in full disclosure. So <laughs> it might ebb and flow. <laughs> My husband can attest to that. But I, I think I finally realized that I'm not God, right? Like once I kind of went through this experience where my world got bigger and eating sort of can make your world kind of small. And just that thinking that control, whenever we're controlling, we kind of get tighter and tighter and tighter and smaller. And the life of surrender is so much bigger and fuller and better. And so I think I realized not only is it a lie to believe I'm in control, but like, I'd be really bad at it if I was in control all the time. Like there's a reason why, you know, our maker and why God is really the one who, who is in control and not us, it's, you know, we're not perfect, turns out. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> and being in control is like really not fun when everything's like, when it, for me, if I think I'm in control, when everything is going well, I'm full of anxiety because I think at any moment I'm going to mess up and it's not going to go well. Or when it does mess up and things are not going well, then it's all my fault. And it's all my, like being in control is the worst Right. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. That's for sure. Yeah. And it's, I think how we make a lot of idols, unfortunately as well, but yes, absolutely. So I'm wondering if we can dig a little deeper on the control issue, Christy, like what, what was that about for you? Was that about safety? Was that about controlling the outcome? Like, what do you think? Why, why did you feel like you needed to be in control initially? 
Yeah. And it's so funny, right? Like once you're recovered, it doesn't mean a lot of these personality traits are still the case for me. So unfortunately I'm not like, Oh, all these controlling tendencies are totally gone. Like my eating disorder is totally gone, but the controlling tendencies certainly, unfortunately are not. But I mean, I think for me, I really find a lot of peace and feeling comfortable and in control and knowing what's coming. My mom loves telling stories about when I was a little kid. And one of the best Christy child stories is when I was, I don't know, three or four. And whenever we were leaving the house, she'd be like, okay, Christy, we're leaving in 15 minutes. Cool, mom. Okay, Christy, we're leaving in five minutes. Cool, mom. Okay, Christy, a few minutes, go get your shoes. They're by the door. Cool, mom. Okay, Christy, time to leave. You didn't give me enough time. And I would just like lose it, right? Like it just lost my mind. And that's just something about my personality. Like if I'm not calling the shots, like I I just kind of want to throw a tantrum, I think. And so with my eating disorder, everything felt out of control. You know, I kind of coped for a long time with food and then later on getting into ballet and having the pressure to be thin and all the other pieces that come with society, I realized, oh, I can do this. Like this is something that my actions can change this and then I'll get complimented. I'm a big words of affirmation person. And so I kind of realized too, with that control came praise. So if I did X, Y, and Z, I got like the gold star and like, love me a gold star. So I think for me, it was just about the control was really about feeling safe and feeling worthy and valuable because that affirmation that came with it. Yeah. And I love that your story highlights, you know, like you said, it's two sides of the same coin. You were controlling with eating maybe more than you were hungry for, et cetera. And then you were controlling with restricting. I think that's always a really big aha moment when people realize that that's the same thing. Yes. Yeah. It's also kind of shocking to hear that it's the same thing, like the same route, right? Not different behavior, but often the same route. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Let's talk about that a little bit more because that's something that's come up a lot of time. I've heard women in our community, um, express that they don't identify with the restriction because they're doing the other, the other end of the pendulum with it. Let's, let's dig in here. How is this the same thing? Unpack that for us. Yeah. So I guess throughout my struggle, I did struggle with different pieces of restriction or binging or whatever the thing might be, but I, whatever the behavior, I think it was what was driving it. And a lot of it was fear-based or control-based or, like I mentioned, affirmation-based, like doing the good thing, kind of checking the boxes stuff. So uh, whether or not I was quote unquote successful with what I felt like I should do with food for the day, I feel like the frenzy, the panicked feeling, the like striving was the same, no matter what the result was restriction or binging or something in between. And I mean, I think I've talked about this before as well. Also physiologically, when we restrict our bodies often want to binge because they're like freaking out and think they're not getting enough nutrition. So part of that also is just like good old science, you know, and our body is trying to do us a solid and help us out and us just sort of not really taking care of our bodies at the same time. But, but I think kind of core value, core driving wise, I think for me, it was really fear-based and it just was kind of the striving thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you said before that you met Christ and recovered from your eating disorder kind of in the same time frame. Like, what did that look like? Yeah, so many things. And I feel like it's tough because, of course, like you can have a strong faith and relationship with the Lord and still struggle with food and body image. Like, it's not something that if you were holy or, or whatever, more spiritual, it would totally go away. Like, that's just not how this works. So yes. thank you for starting with that. <laughs> thank you for starting with that. Yeah. Cause there's so much shame, but I just think again, for me, it was really that process of surrender. Like there is something in the correlation with freedom and surrender. And so I think that was just kind of the biggest piece of my story was that like, eventually I was like, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. Um, also my first sentence as a child. Um, and then eventually I was like, oh wait, I can't do it myself. Like, right. Like it was sort of this like, no, 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 no. Okay, cool. Fine. I'm finally like so worn out. God, like I'll surrender to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just kind of something to that, but for me, it was a slow process Um, slow process and a fast process in various ways. But the first, I think the biggest thing that made a shift for me was this idea of, oh, if my body was created, 
like that's a totally different starting point than there's just this body that's here that doesn't look like I'm supposed to look because the world tells me this. Like, but if my body was made with intention and created by a loving God and God's image, like, wow, that's super different. So that's probably one of the first aha moments where I realized God probably is really the only one who should have something to say about my body. And I should really work to be more of who God created me to be, not who I'm trying to strive to be in the world's image. Right. So that was a big part for me. And then just over time, realizing that I didn't have to do it right. Like as someone who is kind of accomplishment driven and continues to be Enneagram three accomplishment driven person. Um, I, I think it was just hard for me to to realize I didn't have to do it all myself and it wasn't all up to me. And yet there was a lot of peace kind of that I want to be in control. And I don't want to be in control. There also was a lot of peace in that surrender and being like, mm-hmm. wow, it's not all up to me. Jesus did it. Cool. Like I can mess up every day and there's still grace for me. And that's kind of great, even though it's so counterintuitive and countercultural, like that's pretty great. Yeah, that is so great. So did you reach out for counseling right away? Did you kind of DIY it? Like what did your recovery look like? DIY. I love it. I did DIY a little bit, which I, we just bought a house and I'm like, I'm not a DIYer. I just learning to be one for budget conscious reasons, but man, I am not a DIYer, but as far as recovery goes, kind of. So I I went to this church, met the fourth bar, went to church. And the first week I was there, there was a lovely British woman named Kim who got up and made an announcement about a course she was running called New AD. And it was for anyone struggling with an eating disorder. And the whole premise is that freedom is possible. Yeah. See. First time you went to church. ETL. Yeah, that's right. First time I went to wow. church. Wow. And I and I was thinking in my little disordered brain, I thought to myself, well, I don't have an eating disorder. Because you know, it's easy to not think you have an eating disorder because of how disordered our culture is. I was like, well, I don't think I have an eating disorder, but I bet this course will help me figure out how to lose more weight. So, you know, God, I like to say God tricked me, but uh, you know, it worked out for the best. So I went to the six week course and the first night there's different teachings and testimonials and discussion group time each week. And this is actually a group that we run now at rock virtually and in person. And the first night is all about what are eating disorders and what is freedom. And as Kim who's recovered herself was going through the check marks of all the things an eating disorder is. And I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. That, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I have an eating disorder. Like, how did no one tell me? And it's been about 10 years. Like, how did I miss this for so long? But that was really an aha moment for me. And as I went through those six weeks, I did call a therapist pretty, pretty quickly after I was still kind of on the fence about the whole God thing. And that night I went home and I had started to get a a scripture a day emailed to me. And the scripture that was emailed to me the next day was the main scripture we went over the night before at new ID. And I remember just opening my email and bawling and being like it's such a big book god you are real like you do care like it just was really a moment where I feel like the Lord was like yeah we're doing this like here I am and so I called a therapist that day oh wow that's incredible I love that so much I'm speechless like wow god is so awesome right yeah so so awesome (laughs) oh my goodness Okay. So I really love, I want to back up a little bit because I really love how you said, letting your starting point be my body is created. It's kind of what led to an aha moment. And I'm wondering, so did that, did that kind of perspective shift, did that come out of this new ID study? Is that something else the Lord uh, gave you? How did, how did you get to that? Cause it's so good. Yeah, I definitely think it came from the new ID teaching and just I, probably being in church, kind of hearing things differently, but new AD, it's such a great course. And it really does kind of hit all of the pieces, like the biopsychosocial, but the spiritual, right? Like it talks about those other pieces. So um, that is really what I think started to shift things for me was this idea that our bodies are not our own. And yet like they're fearfully and wonderfully made and they matter. Like there's actually dignity in things that matter. Like Jesus took on a body. Like that's that's saying something that's pretty legit, you know? So I feel like that really made me think differently. I never really thought about like embodiment before all these things before. And I I just started to think differently. Hmm. 
Yes, the renewing of our minds that comes when we get some word in there. <laughs> That's right. So good. Okay, so what happened when you got through the course? Like, what was your next thing? Because I feel like some people might get done with the course and be like, no, what do I do now? Like, it's over. Well, I don't want it to be over. Exactly. Well, and it's like the horrible disclaimer the first week where they're like, you won't be better after six weeks. And I was like, can I get a refund? What? <laughs> six weeks felt really long. That seems really unfair. And yet, of course, recovery does take much longer than six weeks. Spoiler alert, right? So, but I will say, you know, every week when I went through it myself and now I've led it, I don't know, 20 times. And I like, I love, I love leaving this course. I'm leaving it again, starting um, in a few, in a few weeks. But we, you really see people shift. And I really felt myself shift. Like on the first week, you're sort of hopeless. Second week, you're like, maybe I believe you that freedom is possible, but like prove it lady. Third week, you're like, okay, okay. Freedom could be cool. Like, and then kind of by the end, you're sort of like, I think freedom might be possible for other people. Maybe it's possible for me, but like, I don't know how to get there. And so I feel like I went through all the stages of this myself when I went through the course, but because I did set up a therapy appointment pretty early on, I think it was week two, I really felt like I was making progress and I had that accountability already. So I had the steps in place. I worked with a dietitian. I did, and I didn't do, you know, higher level of care, even though I think that can be really important and helpful for people, but I did sort of twice a week, my own little mini outpatient world, working with a therapist and dietitian that really, I mean, my therapist was just the best. I just love her so much. And it just kind of got to the root issues. It was enough to help me with that clinical. And then I had the community and peer support. And I'm a big believer that you need the shoulder to shoulder support and the clinical fancy people with the letters behind their names that I sadly don't have. So that combination was really a huge piece for me. Can we talk more about that? Because I think there's a lot of people that maybe they're doing the six week ID course at their church, or there's something that has alerted them to, oh, wow, maybe I do have an eating disorder and freedom is possible. And they have no idea what recovery looks like or working towards recovery looks like. So like, what's the role of your therapist? What does that look like? What's the role of the dietitian? What's the role of the peer support? Yeah. And this is something at Rock Recovery we're really passionate about. We we really believe in the community, the clinical and the spiritual pieces kind of all coming together because it, it takes a village and it really takes a lot of different layers. So I think the clinical is that you've really believed a lot. Well, I really believed a lot of lies over the years and I needed someone to walk me through step-by-step step to kind of unpack the past in a safe and healthy way. I have had some trauma in my background. I needed someone to kind of help me process that appropriately and safely and effectively. So walking through hard things that have happened, harmful things that have happened to us or that we've done maybe, and just working through some of those pieces of our story, in addition to, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapy is a lot of what I think she did with me is kind of working through your thoughts, like changing your thoughts and beliefs and behaviors. And that just is something that it takes a different brain to help you do because you can be so ingrained in these pieces that it's hard to understand what way is up, what way is down, what's true anymore. And Melissa, my therapist used to always tell me, just because you believe something doesn't mean it's true. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. So I think therapists really help us remember what's true while working through our own story and with like fancy skills that I'll never fully understand. And then, you know, peer support, I remember the first week I was at New AD and I got to the discussion group and I thought to myself, I am not saying anything to these people. I'm keeping my mouth shut. And then someone across the room voiced something that I was 100% sure I was the only human in the whole wide world who ever had that horrible thought. And I like couldn't stop talking to us. You know, I was like, I have so much to say. So it was just so healing to know I wasn't alone and I wasn't the only one. And that's the beauty of peer support is like you have that camaraderie and you just, the shame really lifts when you realize it's not just you and it's a lie that it's just you and you're not the only one. And then of course the faith support, it's getting to the deep, deep value, like who you are, whose you are, all those pieces. And that's just where I think the real freedom comes into play. I think you can be symptom free and, you know, recover, but to be truly free, it's that identity piece. It's that value piece. It's the surrender, it's all that kind of combined. And what'd you do with the dietitian? 
got mad at her a lot. Um, you know, we did do some food logs, which I think can be a good bad, depending on what someone's struggling with. But I had to eat a lot of muffins is what I did with my dietitian. You know, I had all the bad foods and all the things in my head that I thought I should eat or I should eat. And I basically like went through Olympic training, eating all the foods that scared me. It was a lot of exposure. It was a lot of those kinds of things. I mean, muffins get along great now. So that's good. But um, it was really kind of working through those beliefs and, and the fear foods and the exposures and yeah, yeah those pieces. So it sounds like with the therapist, you're kind of unpacking maybe stuff that you coped with the eating disorder, right? Like you went through some trauma, you experienced some stuff, maybe you did some things, you had some shame, whatever that was, and your coping tool was the eating disorder. And the therapist is kind of helping you unpack those things, understand those things, cope in a different way. Yeah, learning new skills for sure too, right? Like replacing the maladaptive coping with more maybe sustainable coping. Yeah. Yeah. And like the peer support is helping you like realize, oh, I'm not like the only broken person out there. There's other people dealing with this too. And we can work through this together. We can support each other. Um, The faith side of it is like everything, (laughs) right? Like everything, a big deal. That (laughs) true, true freedom of, um, recognizing that you are more than just this accidental body on earth that you were created, that there's a purpose, all of these things. And then the dietitian kind of helped you practically make up with food or make food just be food instead of be something that's scary or something that is the coping mechanism. Yeah. Does that sound about right? Sounds about right. I think you cracked the code. Yeah. I think that sounds, that sounds true. And I, I just want to say too, with the faith piece, I think we can often, again, feel a lot of shame and there is some bad mental health advice, unfortunately, in the church and in the Christian world where you feel like, oh, I'm not praying enough. What's wrong with me? If you just prayed more, this should go away. Or why isn't God answering my prayer? And that's obviously not what's happening here with disordered eating. It's There's so much more complexity. So I think those pieces you just brought up really explain it well. Yeah. (laughs) Like one of my favorite things is like, it's okay to have Jesus, a therapist and an antidepressant. It's okay. Winning trio, (laughs) winning trio. Yes. That's, that's beneficial and good. So you mentioned rock recovery for those who don't know what rock recovery is and what you're doing. Tell us about it. Yeah, recovery is the best, in my opinion. So we're a nonprofit based in the D.C. metro area, and our whole mission is to help support the journey to freedom from disordered eating. So we're all about the freedom piece. And we provide clinical outpatient recovery programs, faith support programs. We actually, like I mentioned, we run the new ID course now. And then we also do different education and empowerment workshops as well. And since we're a nonprofit, everything we do is at a sliding scale rate because we never want cost to be a barrier to care because unfortunately, mental health treatment can be really expensive and inaccessible to a large majority of the population. And we also really uniquely combine the faith support piece. We we do serve all people of all backgrounds and beliefs, but we have special programs that are really, really especially integrated because we do believe in the power, obviously, of God in the recovery process. So um, yeah, so we operate clinical programs in California, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. And then our faith support programs are available anywhere. We've had people I always joke, I'm like from Iowa and from Japan, because those two things sound like, you know, two ends of a good spectrum. So lots of people from all over the place can come to those programs. So it's been really fun. So Christy, for somebody that is like really, really new here and they don't, they've never maybe looked for a clinician to work with before. Does that mean they have to be in those states to work with the clinical therapy component? Is that what that means? It does, although we are actually about to expand thanks to the Holy Spirit and the internet and the power of Zoom and all the things that have happened recently. Um, We are about to expand our online clinical groups and we offer meal support groups where we actually eat a meal together virtually, which is awesome. I mean, you might drop a piece of pizza on your computer, but like worst things have happened. And then we do virtual therapy body image groups as well. Those are the two main clinical programs that we run. 
And we're about to open them up to 26 new states. So thanks to some telehealth reciprocity that's coming through, um, we're going to be able to expand that. So we're fundraising for that right now and kind of planning and scheming and praying and all the things. I don't know if that's the, that probably is the right order. Unfortunately, I probably scheme before I pray sometimes, but um, we are working on that expansion plan. <laughs> that's so exciting. I am delighted to hear that. Fantastic. Yes. Thanks. Praise God for that. Yeah, so indeed. Yeah, so exciting. It's good. So exciting. Is Pennsylvania on that list? It is actually. Spoiler Ooh. alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that story. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so um, let's let's get into some some principles of intuitive eating that were uh, really helpful for you in your personal recovery story. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones was the making peace with food peace. Like I didn't realize how much judgment I had around food. You know, the whole idea of food isn't good or bad. And that was sort of unbelievable to me. For so many years, I grew up reading all the fitness magazines, right? And, you know, every month it might change what's on the bad column and on the good column and whatever else might happen. But I just, it was very, very counterintuitive, counterintuitive for me to believe that there wasn't good or bad food and that all food had value and that like I wasn't bad if I ate X and I wasn't better if I ate Y. So that was a huge part of it was just making peace and removing the labels of bad or good because then you could actually tell what you wanted. You know, I remember I was with my husband on our honeymoon a couple of years ago in Europe and I like really wanted a salad and I got it. And I was trying to explain to him how great it was to want a salad and like, no, I actually wanted it and how satisfying it was versus like, oh, I should eat this or like that would be this or like the, the mental calculations I did for so long was just exhausting. And it's so great to be able to listen to my body now and know like, yeah, I do want the burger or no, I do want the salad. And it's just great. And that the making peace with food was a huge part of that for me. How long did that process take for you? Like how long did you spend yeah. shooting yourself over the salads while you knew better, but you could still detect the shittiness? <laughs> oh, so much shittiness. Um, so I, you know, it's always hard to give a timeline. I feel like maybe a year and a half um, in a way. I know it sounds like a long time or a short time, depending on <laughs> how you look at things, but I feel like I made a lot of progress in six months and then it was just sort of walking it out. And along with that, of course, body's changing, my body changed, things change, and sort of trusting that my body would wind up where it needed to be was a huge part of that as well. But I think I made progress pretty quickly in a couple of months, but it, it took some time to really have those voices go away. And I remember... Melissa, my therapist telling me, you know, I counted calories every day. And the only redeeming thing about counting calories every day is that I'm super good at doing math in my head. Like it's a great party trick guys. I'm really good. And I feel like I never believed I could not count calories because it was autopilot. I mean, I'd done it every day for over a decade and I knew what was in everything. How could I ever stop? And she always said, you know, imagine you're that annoying younger brother you never had. And you just, if you start thinking about a number, you're like 7,642, 9 million, like just kind of change your brain and kind of get a different number going. And it really helps. And over time, I remember one day I looked back and I was like, how many calories did I eat today? How many calories did I eat yesterday? I don't know. And it was just this moment. I never believed I could stop that. Like never yeah. in a million years. And it's just one day at a time. Yeah. I love those moments when you have that like aha of like, oh my gosh, I can't remember the last time that I did that. Or, you know, I always share for me, it was like, I found this bag of trail mix in my pantry. And I was like, I forgot that was there. I forgot that was there. It was there for months. And it was like such an amazing feeling of like, okay, I'm doing this. Like this is working. Yeah, absolutely. So awesome. those, are, those are such good little wins. I think it's really important to celebrate that and give thanks for those all along the journey, no matter how long it takes you to get there, no matter how quickly you get there, big ones, small ones, like everybody, like, let's remember to celebrate the little milestones along the way. Like recovery is a big, long thing, um, but you're not, you know, you're not forestalling the joy and the freedom and the gratitude until you get to some 
future date of recovery that you don't know how long it's going to take you to get there. Um, there's things to celebrate like in the early days too. Have you seen that, uh, Christy, especially in the people you, you work with, with rock? Yeah. I mean, I think just even having hope that things can get better makes a big difference. And either people are annoyed at me when I tell them I've been there and I'm recovered or they're like, wow, a real unicorn. I'm seeing it, you know? So I think there's like a wide variety of um, responses people might have to, to this because it's hard and recovery is hard, but I do feel like we can see progress really quickly. I mean, I feel like even though sometimes recovery is two steps forward, one step back day by day, those little small victories, it's all about the baby steps. It's all about the little victories. They all add up and they're all worthy of celebrating and being grateful for. And that was hard for me in recovery was thinking, okay. Like I remember feeling a lot of shame and a lot of anger, like babies are better at eating than I am. Like that's dumb. Like this is really frustrating, you know, like literal children are better at eating than I am. Like it was just really hard for me. And, but realizing it took me a really long time to develop those disordered patterns. So of course they didn't go away overnight. And then when I realized one was kind of shifting, like celebrating that instead of feeling ashamed or feeling mad that I still had 18 other ones to work on. It's like, no, but you worked on this one and there's progress. And that's like beautiful and worthy of celebrating. So I think just celebrating the small victories and noticing the, the patterns. And I think our clients often struggle with that, but again, it helps them to notice how far they've come and to take stock of those things. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I we try and encourage people to do that. And I have been pretty remiss in doing that uh, lately. But I think that's one of those things that I did learn to take out of the context of just food and body and kind of zoom out and apply that kind of I'm working and growing and, and doing this with God in other areas of life, too. So I think that's just a, a way that this recovery journey is something that can really um, deepen your faith and make you better outside of just your relationship with food. Once the healing comes in that area and the Lord is going to use you mm-hmm. for his glory and help you live your purpose. I just think it, the intersection with faith is so, so important and so powerful in the healing. And I just, I really love that. Um, that's part of your story, Christy, but also part of what, what you guys do with rock recovery. I think that's so special and rare and important and I just have to commend you for taking that approach because you didn't have to yeah thank you it's I think it would feel inauthentic like I always think when um I don't know when Jesus is talking to disciples and they're like where else would we go like what else would we do like you know I feel like I'd be a liar if I didn't we never force this on anybody right we don't force beliefs or faith in anybody, but I'd be a liar if I didn't say that this made all the difference for me. And this is where freedom has happened and what we think will really help people find freedom. And we've seen in our programs, people who do a clinical program and a faith support program, like combined have crazy outcomes, like crazy outcomes compared to people who might just do one or the other sometimes. So, and we also see, I think, you know, people come to us after been struggling for six months or three decades, right? And it can feel really hard to know you struggled for a long time, but kind of the encouragement we often offer there is that breakthrough can really happen. You know, God heals people quickly sometimes. Sometimes it is step-by-step, day-by-day, it depends, but there is redemption. Like there is so much redemption that happens through the process, even if it's painful and hard and there's things to mourn and grieve. I just always think about, um, I think it's, gosh, is it Joel where um, the verse, it says, I'll restore to you the years the swarming locusts have eaten. And I'm just like, man, that is just, I think what it's been for me. I've been working at Rock now for eight years on staff. I volunteered for many years before, but there's just this restoration. And I mean, freedom really is great. Life is still hard, but there's just so much to be to be redeemed. And I think a lot of women struggle with food in their bodies who never quote unquote have a super significant clinical eating disorder, but like to have gone through it and to, be like, cool, my body changed. Like, yeah, I have to buy new pants. That's a bummer. It's expensive, but like, okay, my worth isn't any different. Things haven't changed, right? It's just so different to not find your whole worth in a number or something else. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kind of had the experience of like, I knew Jesus and I, w- I was walking with him and I was in my eating disorder and totally worshiping like body and all those things. And then I found intuitive eating and was kind of coming out of the disordered eating, but really 
I mean, I was going to school to be a dietitian at the time and was so really focused on like the science, right? Like the science of intuitive eating totally made sense to me. And I was buying in and I was finding freedom in that. Um, but, and it was like a couple years into really being in re- intuitive eating that I started seeing like, oh, whoa, like these two parts of my life don't have to be separate. And they're like crossing over And the freedom that I have in the Lord is absolutely changing everything with intuitive eating in my body because I had kind of moved from doing my eating disorder perfectly to doing intuitive eating perfectly. And then when Jesus like infiltrated that, I was like, whoa, like this is what food freedom is. This is what freedom from body obsession is. And that was at the time that I think I had just started kind of blogging about intuitive eating. And I was like, I don't know how to do this without talking about God. Like, I can't, I, yeah. I don't know how to do this without talking about God. Cause that's where like the true freedom came for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So good. Can you talk to us a little bit, Christy, about the, um, the body change you experienced you said trusting that your body would end up where it needed to be or something to that effect. And I think, um, oh, just the way you said it and with the confidence and like the ease and all that, that's just, I, I want to bottle that and sell it to people <laughs> or give it away. Like yes. anything, yes. it is such a struggle. And I want, uh, I know surrender has been a part of your story there and part of this conversation. So I want you to walk us through kind of your, um, your mental and spiritual processes of going through the body change and what that was like for you. Yeah. And I think, I mean, with body image for so long, I thought, oh, I'll have better body image when I weigh X or when I do this. And to realize body image is not at all tied to a shape or size, like not at all tied to it. And that was sort of a big game changer for me. I remember, So with body changes, I definitely did gain some weight. Occasionally it leveled out over time. I've now gotten older. I've gained weight again, unrelated to recovery, right? And I'm like, they they aren't joking about that. That is real. Um, So there's just a lot of changes that happen to our body. But what's interesting for me now is I can notice it and not feel like overwhelmed by it or like I'm less worthy or anything else. And what's been neat for me over the years is realizing at my heaviest weights, I've often been the happiest. Like I've actually felt the best. Like on our wedding day, I think my body had changed a little bit. And I remember all day people telling me, you know, you're the bride, of course, I tell you you're pretty, but they would be like, oh, you're so beautiful. You know, you look so great. And I'm like, I know I am. And <laughs> if I had known, I really, I really did. Um, but if I had known like, I don't know, eight, however long it was before that, eight years, 10 years ago when I recovered that I was going to weigh that much and get married, I'd be like, I don't want to get married. Like, I'm not getting married if that's what I weigh. Like, I'm not doing it. And it was just amazing to be like, I know I'm the prettiest one. You're all so right. And it was not at all about the number, right? And so that's what's crazy. It's that, or like, it's wild. I shouldn't say crazy, but like, it's so wild to like separate that because it's so easy to believe I'll feel better when X. And it's not true. It really is identity driven. It's how we feel about ourselves. You know, body image is how we feel about ourselves, not actually how we look. And so that's just that constant work of, trusting? Am I caring for my body? Am I doing what I feel like God's told me to do with my body? Am I moving well, eating well, doing all the things, being balanced in relationship, having fun, you know, having a good time, eating the cookies, whatever. Like, I feel like if I'm doing all those things, the size and the shape shouldn't matter because it's the freedom and it's just the other pieces that come into play. So my focus has changed from the numbers to just the freedom and quantifying that instead. And initially it was hard to have those body changes, but I remember there was one day I was working at Habitat for Humanity, loved it in North Carolina. And I was doing fundraising, which is like a thankless job. And I'd written this grant and I like really thought we were going to get it. And that morning before I went into work, I looked in the mirror. And for a while, when I started recovery, I didn't look at mirrors that much. I kind of, you know, make sure there's something embarrassing happening and like moved on with my life. But that day I like looked at myself and I was like, girl, you look good. Digging the outfit, digging the hair, looking blonde. Like you look good today. Like, okay, it's going to be a good day. And I went into the office, I sat in my little cubicle and I opened my email and I got a rejection from the grant that I thought I was going to get. And so I went in the bathroom because I don't like crying in front of people and I was going to cry. It was the whole thing. And I went in the bathroom to kind of pull it together. And I looked in the mirror and I thought, you look hideous. Why did you ever wear this? Like, what's wrong with you? You're disgusting. 
And that, because literally like 17 minutes had passed from when I thought like, wow, feeling good. And oh my gosh, I'm disgusting. Something in me, that was an aha moment where I was like, oh, this is what my therapist has been trying to tell me, like how I feel about myself. And that disappointment, feeling shame, feeling like I was rejected, feeling all the things. Um, that was what made me turn on myself, not what I actually looked like. And it was just so pivotal for me. That was such an aha moment for me. That is such a good example. It like hits the nail wow. on the head. Yes, absolutely. Totally. Yeah. I think probably if we all think back, I can't put myself on the spot here because my brain hasn't been working lately, but like, I know I have a, a contrast like that where it's like, yep, <laughs> I'm gonna go look through my journal and find it. I want to challenge everybody to think, think about that. See if you can notice that in your own story. Like, have you had a disparity so strong there and how you talk to yourself and what you see when you look in the mirror, that is completely like that. It just shows it's the shame talking. It's, mm -hmm. it's the roommate in your head talking. It's yeah. not true. Oh, well, I'm I, thinking of like, there's so many examples of this in life too. Like, <sighs> I <laughs> Like I'll get mad at my husband for something or I'm mad at something, whatever. And then I have a whole list in my head of all the things that are wrong. Right. Or like something will bother me about myself. And then I make this 20 page list in my head of all the things that are wrong with me. So it's like you, if you focus on something negative, it can just like paint your whole world negative. You find everything negative about what's going on. Um, you looked great and your outfit was awesome. And then something negative happened and everything sucks. Right. Yeah. That's why God tells us to think about what is lovely and what is good. And, you know, all of those things, because it, it absolutely changes what we focus on and what we think and how we behave. Yeah. Yeah. Replacing the lies with truth. It's like such a critical part of the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, Chrissy, you have been so wonderful. I need you to share with everybody where they can find, uh, find out more about you, find out more about rock recovery. Yeah, I feel like I am kind of one with Rock Recovery, so I'll just give you that. You can find me. You can find me there. Don't worry. <laughs> so our website is www.rockrecoveryed.org. On Instagram, I'm pretty sure our handle is just Rock Recovery, and on Facebook, it's Rock Recovery ED. So people can find us there. And if Twitter is still a thing, I think we're on Rock Recovery there too. I feel like <laughs> I'm not hip enough to manage our social media, you guys. Well, we'll link to all of that in the show notes, so you guys can um, connect with Rock that way and make it super easy. Uh, I just really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing, and your story is so powerful. Um, there are so many good nuggets of wisdom in there. I just I'm so happy right now. <laughs> I know. I Thank you for your transparency, right? So much transparency and honesty about like, hey, I still try struggle with wanting to control everything and um, just so much truth, so much truth. And I really appreciate it. Mm, thank you. It was such a joy to be with you guys today. This was such a treat. And I feel like you really asked hard questions, guys. That was good. <laughs> well, you answered them effortlessly. <laughs> I'm kind of a one trick pony, you know, I feel like the Lord gave me a good story and I can just keep saying it. So it's good. <laughs> well, let's it. see how you do with these really tough questions. We've got oh, right. some, uh, some rapid fire heat coming oh. your way. Yes. I always say I don't like organized fun. I don't like games. Like I just get really stressed. So, okay, let's see. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Deep breath and hit me with coffee or tea. And how do you take it? Oh, coffee and lots of cream. I'm really a fan of cream in my coffee. Yum, 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 yum. Um, favorite, favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate marshmallow. Not Rocky Road. The nuts make me sad, but um, chocolate marshmallow. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. If you can have dinner with any famous person, who would it be a campy Jesus? <laughs> that's good because you like if you don't say Jesus you're like mm, not so holy are you <laughs> any, any famous person oh guys I'm so stressed um any famous person who I'm obsessed with right now um 
I want to say Michelle Obama because I used to live like down the street from her in DC and I would walk by her house and pray for her and I felt like we were secretly friends because I prayed for her so often so I feel like I would say Michelle Obama she's love her social justice and her mission outreach and think she think she sounds really fun and like a strong woman which I really respect so a lot of strong women at rock recovery a lot of ladies around here (laughs) um your bucket list travel destination number one the one place you really want to go? Well, I've already been, but I'm still going to say Spain. I want to do more in Spain. I went to Barcelona for three days and like fell in love and was almost dragged away crying. So I would love to go back to do like Southern Spain and all of Spain. Awesome. Oh, yes. That's on my list too. We should go. That's a good idea. (laughs) Um, Your favorite Bible study like is there a study guide or a bible yes. study or a book guys or a book? I love Beth Moore like I am such a fan of Beth Moore which is so funny because it's so southern and I was very anti-Texas because I was mad that I was moved there against my will at the age of eight but like Beth Moore man can't get mad at her so <laughs> I um gosh what was the study I did I think there was one in Galatians that I did that I really liked and then I've done a few other ones over the years of hers but I just like love a Beth Moore study yeah 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 good stuff Okay, favorite quote or lyric right now? Oh gosh, that means I have to remember something. Um, quote or lyric? I need to like, I don't have pictures in my office yet. I can't even cheat and look at my wall. Guys, we just moved. Um, that's a hard one. I feel like, uh, I don't know. I'm a really big fan of this reflection poem. Um, I'm trying to remember one quote from it, but I feel I'm blanking. I'm also a really big fan of Need to Breathe and I feel like I love all of their lyrics. Oh, yes. I said the best. So can I just say anything that I Need to Breathe sings? Can I just make yes. that note? I'll get back to you on the exact one because I'm just, I'm blanking, I'm blanking. Yeah. That works, that works. Yeah, I love it. I would blank too. Some of these. Yeah. I can't answer pressure, some of these. This is very stressful. And I might need to like email you, but I have to revise all of my answers. Like, <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Christy. This was so much fun. Even the stressful ending part. Thank you. It was great to be with you. Well, let's, let's make it end on a, a nicer, lighter note. And would you mind praying for us, Christy, as we close? I would love that. That is way less stressful than being asked questions. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, Lord, we just thank you that you have made us, that you have called us your own and that you care for us. So I pray that we would live as beloved children of yours. I pray that you would help us to shed the lies we've believed and just replace it with your truth, with your capital T truth. I pray that your voice would be the loudest one that we hear and that all the other voices would just fade away. And I just pray over every single person who's listened to this recording today, that you would just increase freedom for them, increase their hope and their faith and their joy. And I pray that you would just continue to do a good work in them. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Today's episode was brought to you by my wonderful and wise co-host, Charlie Castle. Char is now accepting new clients for her private practice as a registered dietitian. If you are looking for nutrition therapy for eating disorders, intuitive eating coaching, or faith-based nutrition services, then visit her website, charliecastle.com, and click on the Work With Me tab. There you will find all of the contact info for reaching out, and you can even schedule a free 15-minute discovery call with Char to see if you're a good fit for working one-on-one with her. Get all of the information over at charliecastle.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. We will see you in the next episode of Intuitive Eating for Christian Women.